Thanks for the tip, Bricktop. It's a new fucking fringe. If I throw a dog a bone, I don't want to know if it tastes good or not. You stop me again whilst I'm walking, and I'll cut your fucking Jacob's off. Hello there, and welcome to a new episode of Hyperbat Reviews with your two hosts, one man who's totally passionate to Pillow and Kablu. It's Bread Roll. And my co host, as always, knows all about having a fucking fringe. It's JT. <laughs> oh, amazing. That's one of the best intros you've ever done, Bread Roll. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I do know all about having a fringe indeed. And I've still got one to this day, and I'm proud of it. Um, hello, everyone. And we're back. It's been a couple of weeks, and do apologise. Life has got in the way. We've, we've been adulting and doing life and just haven't found the time. But we're back, and hopefully there won't be a gap this time. But who knows? Life goes on and things happen. But yeah, hello everyone. Yes, indeed. And it finds a way of Ian Malcolm's to be believed from one of our previous episodes. But uh, we are back indeed looking again at another Guy Ritchie movie. And this one is the follow up to last, well, not last week's, but our last episode of <laughs> Lock, Stock, Two Smoking <laughs> Barrels. And this is Snatch, which came out in the UK on the 23rd of August 2000. I can't believe it's actually that old. And mm. it came out in the States on the 19th of January 2001. It runs for 102 minutes and it's had a much better budget because Lockstock had 800 grand. This one had 10 million and it came back with 83.6 million, apparently, according to Wiki. Yeah, I've got that here as well, Brad Rowe. Um, yeah, 10 million, probably 8 million of that went to Brad Pitt, to be fair. Yeah, um, probably. Yeah, I mean, it's not a sequel to Lockstock, is it? But people treat it as a, a sequel. None of the characters from Lockstock are in this, although a lot of the cast are. Um, but yeah. Guy Ritchie's second film, and he pretty much continued where he left off, didn't he, and quality-wise, without giving too much away with the scoring at the end. Yeah, he did. It's a really good follow-up, and I think this, of the two of them, is probably the more well-known. It's certainly, as you say, the higher budget, and I think Brad Pitt helped it become, obviously, gave it that kind of a bit of a boost as well, um, being a big star that he is. Um, he was originally going to play Turkish in this. I don't know if you knew that. Um, when he, because he saw Lockstock and really enjoyed it, and he asked Guy Ritchie, "Can I be in your next film?" Obviously, Guy Ritchie said yes. Um, and he was going to play Turkish, who is actually played by Jason Statham. But because he couldn't do a London Cockney accent, he ended up playing Mickey. Oh right. Well, obviously he can't do an Irish accent, but that's kind of a running joke, isn't it? <laughs> um, it's just fucking absolute rubbish. He says. Um, obviously, uh, another fact in this that you know, but probably no one else will know, is that the guy who did Brad Pitt's henna tattoos in this film was the guy who did my actual tattoos. Um, Phil did all uh, Brad Pitt's work in this film. Obviously, it was drawn on every day. It took fucking hours, apparently. And he also said Brad Pitt was really down to earth and they spent a lot of time just chilling out together. And also Mike Reed, who appears in this film, obviously has now since passed away, was an absolute arsehole, apparently, on the set. But that's from my friend Phil. Don't know if that's true or not, but yeah, apparently Brad was um pretty sound guy. Oh, good to know. Yeah, I did um read an interview it was a long time ago now, and they said like he was pretty obviously at this point in time, we're talking about 2000, probably 99 when it was being filmed. That was when Brad Pitt was kind of on the rise and coming really into his prime. He did like a huge succession of movies, and I was actually thinking while watching this, this character he plays here, it has a lot of similarities to when he played Tyler Durden in Fight Club. Or just how like dirty and grotty he is. And obviously, Brad Pitt was in amazing shape at the time, but it is almost like two halves of the same character, isn't it? Really, those two. Yeah, watching this again last night, the first time I've seen it for a good few years now, I was thinking exactly the same thing. I mean, Pitt for Man Crush, Brad Pitt looks fucking good in this, doesn't he? Like he's toned to fuck. 
yeah, yeah, he's in like amazing shape. Even though apparently he barely washed while filming this because he wanted to maintain that dirty kind of like pikey look, and I think he does it really well. And I imagine he did the same when he played Tyler Durden. But yeah, he was fucking ripped to shit in this, wasn't he? Like he wasn't like Dwayne Johnson bulked up, but he had like a six pack. He was properly ripped, like a like an MMA fighter almost. Yeah, yeah, it's wiry as Rodney Trotter would say. Um, yeah, I mean, just another quality that Brad Pitt's got, isn't it? Lucky man. Yeah, yeah, fair play to him. So um, let's take a look at the actual film itself then. So just uh, for transparency, I have ripped this from Wiki and I've tweaked it a little bit just so it makes a little bit more sense, but it just helps keep our our way of describing movies a little bit more logical. For, <laughs> as some of our um, listeners know that we do um, go a little bit wonky with some of our original typings. So this is coming from Wiki. So... After stealing an 86-carat diamond while dressed as an ultra-Orthodox Jew during a heist in Antwerp, Frankie Fourfingers, played by Benicio Del Toro, goes to London to see a diamond dealer called Doug the Head, played by Mike Reed. On behalf of his New York jeweller and Jewish-American organised crime figure, Cousin Abby, played by Dennis Farina. One of the other robbers advises Frankie to obtain a gun from his brother, arms dealer and ex-KGB Boris the Blade, played by, I believe his name's Rade Serbinja, but I've probably said that completely wrong. Um, he, then later calls, <laughs> he then later calls Boris and encourages him to steal a diamond from Frankie before he can turn it over to Doug the Head. So this, um, the first time I watched this, I remember it actually, I didn't, obviously Benicio Del Toro is a great actor in his own right, but with all that get up and everything, I thought he was Brad Pitt to begin with, playing that character the very first time I watched this, because they do actually look quite similar. Yeah, I know what you mean. And actually, I mean, the first time I saw this, I went to the cinema to see it again after seeing Lockstock and loving it. Um, I did go to the cinema to see this, given away how old I am again. Just on a slight sidetrack, obviously we always get sidetracked. This has now been removed from Prime Video, by the way. I went to watch it last night and it said, because you watch Lockstock and it recommended me all these other things. And I thought, why are you not recommending me Snatch? It's obviously the ultimate thing to recommend me after watching Lockstock. No, it's not on there anymore. Luckily, I did find the Blu-ray in my cupboard. So it nearly didn't happen again. Anyway, we get sidetracked. Um, but yeah, watching this again last night for the first time in a few years, I was watching this and obviously the opening scene is them going through the CCTV cameras in the, the diamond merchants, wherever they're going. And I was looking and I was thinking, is that Benicio Del Toro's character? I can't remember. It's been a bit sketchy, the sort of start of this film. And obviously it is when he takes the, the beard and everything off. But yeah, I was sort of squinting thinking, is that him or is that someone else? I couldn't remember what character he played. Yeah, he's good, isn't he? I, I like Benicio Del Toro. Yeah. And again, I mean, we're looking, what, this is like 2020. Oh, sorry, 2000, not 2020, what am I about? So it's a good chunk ago. And he's obviously become a big actor in his own right now. Like, he, like he's been in like, Star Wars and all kinds of things. But back then, he wasn't as big either. I suppose the main star in this um, movie was Brad Pitt from like a wider world perspective. But there's loads of obviously classic British actors in there. Yeah, I mean, Jason Statham, obviously, after Lockstock, was starting to gain a little bit of traction as well. We do get the voiceover at the start before we see the, the diamond heist where Turk is sort of introducing himself and Tommy, his right-hand man, who is uh, Stephen Graham, I believe, isn't it? It is, yeah. He was a great actor. I mean, I really like Stephen Graham. You wouldn't think it in this movie, but he has become such a good character actor and he's played some really intense roles in his time. He's probably, he's up there with Robert Carlyle and Sean Bean for me for being great British actors. Yeah, I'd say so. And his accent in this is spot on, isn't it? You wouldn't think he was a scouser. No, absolutely not. And especially when you see him play characters like Combo in This Is England, and then like he's been in Pirates of the Caribbean and all kinds. He's so good at them. 
yeah, he's very good. Yeah, he's definitely one who's sort of he's a bit underrated, isn't he? Really, he's in a lot, but he doesn't really get the, the recognition he deserves. I don't think. No, no, I agree. Um, so, meanwhile, Cockney boxing promoter and slot machine shop owner Turkish, played by Jason Statham, is persuaded by crime boss Bricktop, played by Alan Ford, to put his boxer Gorgeous George in a match against one of in a match against one of Bricktop's boxers. However, when Turkish sends his partner Tommy, played by Stephen Graham, and Gorgeous George to purchase a caravan from a clan of Irish travellers, George gets challenged to a fistfight against pikey bare-knuckle boxing champion Mickey O'Neill, played by Brad Pitt, who beats up and severely injures Gorgeous. Facing the wrath of Bricktop, Turkish persuades Mickey to place George and his, uh, replace uh, George in his upcoming match by agreeing to purchase a new caravan for Mickey's mother. Bricktop grudgingly agrees, but only on the condition that Mickey will throw the fight and go down in the fourth. So this pretty much sets everything up, really, doesn't it? We've seen the diamond come across with old Del Toro at the start, and now we get introduced to um, all the characters in a normal comical way, like the way Lockstock introduced their characters. It's done in kind of a stylish manner here before the, the movie really gets going, isn't it? Yeah, it's good the way you do get introduced to them all. The only one we don't get introduced to till quite a bit later on is old Bullet Tooth, Vinnie Jones's character. He doesn't appear till a good halfway through the film, does he? Um, but everyone else now has pretty much made their appearance. Um, obviously, we do get Vince, Soul and uh, Tyrone as well a little bit later on. They're the sort of comedy of the of the film, aren't they? They're the, the two scouters from Lockstock. They sort of replace them. Um, but yeah, I do like the way we get introduced to them all when we get almost a little bit of backstory without even going too much into depth. I mean, you know straight away, Bricktop, you don't fuck with Bricktop, do you? No, because old um, Alan Ford, he plays him so well, doesn't he? And he kind of yeah. he completely owns that character, but he just looks like a fucking, just a mental case, doesn't he? He's just such a horrible, evil, <laughs> like, bastard of a bloke. It's his facial expressions as well. The way he sort of pauses as he talks and talks really slowly and purposefully. Yeah, he's just a sinister character, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's absolutely horrible. I do like, obviously, being a Cockney crime movie and obviously a Guy Ritchie movie. There's loads of great banter going on. I mean, you could sit here and quote this movie all day long, but mm. the sort of bit where you kind of introduce the Turkish, gorgeous George and Tommy, and they just sort of walk around this shitty little caravan, which sets up them going to visit the Pikeys. I mean, there's some great banter going back and forth there. Yeah, isn't um, someone making uh, Turkish some sausages, isn't he? And he's like, how long is those sausages going to be? Is it two minutes or five minutes Turkish or two minutes Turkish? And five minutes later, how long are they going to be? Two minutes? He's like, it was two minutes fucking five minutes ago. Yeah. Just <laughs> stupid little things like that. And um, gorgeous George, obviously, he's um, he's northern. He's not one of the Cockneys. Um, he reminds me of my girlfriend's stepbrother. Like, he's just, he looks a bit like him. He's got that thick Yorkshire accent. Just reminded me of him. Yeah, a bit of a Phil Mitchell on steroids, isn't he, old gorgeous George, really? Um, <laughs> with, with a Yorkshire accent. <laughs> yeah. There's another bit there as well, um, where they're talking, and Stephen's reaction's amazing, because they're just walking along and talking, and he's like, fuck me, hold on, what's that? That's my belt. No, Tommy, there's a gun in your trousers. What is a gun <laughs> doing in your trousers? <laughs> yeah, that's when he starts saying about the Germans, which becomes a running thing throughout the whole film. Yeah, it's my protection. Protection from what? The Germans. But yeah, he's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I do like we we sort of meet Boris the Blade briefly as well, and it turns out it's pretty much impossible to kill, which obviously plays quite a, a funny role at the end when he does actually die. Spoiler alert: if you haven't seen the film, um, it's brilliant. Obviously, jumping ahead a bit there to the end. Yeah, yeah, he is good. Um, so speaking of which, so Boris gives Frankie Four Fingers a revolver in exchange for a favour. 
Frankie is to place a bet on Boris's behalf at Bricktop's bookies as Boris has an outstanding debt with the house. After discovering this, Doug the Head mentions it to Cousin Abby, who knows Frankie has a gambling addiction, so he flies to London with his bodyguard Rosebud to pick up the diamond personally and keep Frankie out of trouble. Boris hires two small-time crooks, Vinny, played by Robbie Gee, and Sol, played by Lenny James, to rob Frankie while he is at the bookies. The robbery goes awry and Sol, Vinny and the driver Tyrone are caught on camera but manage to kidnap Frankie. So this is where we get a proper introduction to, like say, Boris, obviously, um, Sol, Vinny. Tyrone's obviously a classic one. Um, I but I do Tyrone. have an issue. Yeah, Tyrone's amazing. Um, Get but... hilarious. <laughs> and he's trying to get out of the car at the garage and he like takes about half an hour. He's so fat. And he's like, you call him a getaway driver. What the fuck is he supposed to get away from? <laughs> I just love <laughs> it when you first... Though, <laughs> in his defence, as a getaway driver, he doesn't need to get out of the car. He just needs to drive it. Although he's shit at that as well. Yeah, he is crapping it. Like when he's trying to pull up and there's like a massive fucking space and everything. Why'd you park? Why aren't you parking there? It's too tight. You could land a jumbo <laughs> fucking jet in there. Fucking huge. You get about six cars in there. You get an Arctic fucking truck in there. Yeah. Um, I do um, love that bit as well when they first introduced us. Like, Tyrone's done a rolly driving course. Ain't you, Tyrone? Of course I have. He's a natural. Ain't you, Tyrone? Of course I am. He's just a fucking... He's actually in Casino Royale, that bloke, believe it or not. You know, James yeah. Bond, really. Yeah. I was um, I was looking at him quickly before we started recording just to see if he'd been in anything else. And I saw he'd been in Casino Royale. I don't know what he played. I've only seen the film once. But yeah, he's, he's brilliant. His character's amazing. But as I said earlier, these are the kind of comedy scapegoats that you've got in this film as you had the Scousers in Lockstock, isn't it? Yeah, they are. I mean, I mean Lenny James has gone on to do a few things. He was in Walking Dead for the most part. I think he still is at some point. Um, I don't know if Robbie Gee's been in much else, but yeah, these are, like you say, the kind of Scouser equivalents. But I do have an issue with, again, this movie's not to be taken seriously. But Doug, the head, um, speaks to Cousin Abby and he's like, you know, I'm coming to London. And you get that little shot of him taking the shot of whiskey, going on his plane and coming back. But it's like, well, that's what got to be like a 12 to 14 hour flight. And this movie only mm. takes place over a couple of days. So by the time he'd have flown to um, London after getting that phone call, everything would have already happened. If you know what I mean? I, yeah, I thought that as well last night. I mean, it's Concord he flies on. You see a little montage, like say, he does a shot, jumps on the plane, his passport's stamped and he's in London within two seconds. Obviously, that's the montage that... You see, but even on Concord, I don't think he'd have done it in the time frame this film is supposed to take place in. But yeah, there we go. I, I do like the way it's done, though. It's, I mean, it's just quick, isn't it? Shot, stamp, you're in. It's, you know, there's no fucking about. And then obviously he's in the film from there on. Yeah, he's actually a pretty good character. He looks a bit like yeah, an old, old, old Burt Reynolds, I think. Like a really old man, yeah. Burt Reynolds. <laughs> well, Burt Reynolds is fucking old. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so instead of throwing the fight, Mickey accidentally knocks his opponent out with a single punch due to his overwhelming power. Infuriated, Bricktop ro um, robs Turkish of his life savings and demands Mickey fight again and lose since the majority of gamblers will now bet on him. Mickey refuses to fight again unless Turkish buys him even, an even better caravan for his mother. But Turkish has no money left since Bricktop stole his savings. Furious, Bricktop's man vandalised Turkish's gambling arcade and burned down Mickey's mother's caravan while she is sleeping inside. So that's kind of like a bit of a wrap-up of a few things that happen in this next sequence, again, coming from Wiki. Um, but yeah, that kind of fight sequence where he goes in there is awesome, isn't it? Like, they just do this weird kind of sound effect when he punches people and knocks them out, and I think it's pretty effective. Yeah, it's really good. It's pretty full-on as well, the fight scenes, particularly, again, jumping forward a bit, the one at the end. But Brad Pitt just plays the character so well. And one thing I will say as well, when they... um. 
when they burn his mum's caravan, although this film's very tongue in cheek, that's fucking it's quite horrible, isn't it? It's just the music's playing. I think it might be Massive Attack, and it's quite a eerie song, and it's just haunting. Brad Pitt and the way it's filmed is, I think, it's really good. Yeah, because one thing I forgot to mention um, is old Jason Fleming's in this. He doesn't really say anything. I think he has like one line at the end, but he played Fat Man in Lockstock, didn't he? And he mm. plays one of the pikeys of Brad Pitt. And it's like him and some of the others are like, trying to hold him back for rushing towards his caravan. But yeah, it is one of those kind of moments that just goes really dark and really serious um, out of nowhere from a film that, like you said, is pretty much tongue in cheek for the most part. Yeah, I do like the way as well you're talking about Brad Pitt's sort of crew he's got with him. You have a gypsy. Every time he says something and um, old Turkish or Tommy can't stand him, they all just repeat it, don't they? It's quite good in unison. Yeah, because even um, Statham's character, Turkish, makes it out, doesn't he? That's the reason Pikey's talk the way they do, so you can't follow what's being said. But it's yeah. probably also to cover up the fact that Brad Pitt can't do accents, and he was copying, um, apparently he got the idea for Mickey's voice from watching Father Ted. So that's where he came up with the whole <laughs> character concept from. Oh, uh, yeah, fair play. I mean, his accent's terrible, but it's done so well, he gets away with it, doesn't he? Because that's that's probably how they did it. The fact they knew he couldn't do a proper... But then, no disrespect to, to gypsies in the travelling community, I'm trying to be nice here, they, you know, they probably, they don't have proper Irish accents because they've been over here, so they've incorporated probably lots of different dialogue and sort of accents, haven't they? So they're not pure Irish accents anyway, so I think he plays it really well. Yeah, no, he does a good job. And there's one bit... Um, just going back a little bit, when we first get introduced to Mickey, when um, they go to try and buy the caravan, when you first see him, he's like, there's like a car and they're working on it, but he's down the side of it and he stands up and he's like pulling his trousers up. And it's like, what the fuck have you been doing by that car? I need to pull your trousers up. Like he was let down or something. So he's either like shagging some tar or he was just had his cacks down for no reason, but it just makes no sense. Well, he's pretty random in this film, so he could have been doing pretty much anything, couldn't he? I do like that bit as well, where they drive away and the caravan just falls off its axle. It's quite good. And they're just literally pulling the caravan along with no wheels. Yeah. <laughs> so, meanwhile, Boris retrieves a diamond from Sol and Vinny and murders Frankie with a pistol. Bricktop tracks down Sol, Vinny, Tyrone and their friend, bad boy Yardy Lincoln. I think it's played by a guy called Goldie. I recognise yeah, him. I think that's his name. Yeah, and he's a on... bass artist. Goldie. How is he? Um, And he plans on killing them for robbing his bookies. Sol bargains for the lives by offering Bricktop a stolen diamond and is given 48 hours to retrieve it. And again, this goes pretty dark because, like we said, um, Bricktop's an evil bastard. Um, He's got some great dialogue as well, but obviously he's burnt down, burnt Mickey Mum alive. And he's got like Tyrone tied up, hasn't he? And he's like, goes on about he feeds people to pigs and he's got these Rottweilers that are about to eat Tyrone. He's just a proper evil bastard. Yeah, he's. I mean, the first time you get introduced to him, he's talking to those two guys. Um, I think, I don't know if it's due to a previous uh, fight or something, and he kills one of them. The other one thinks he's got away, and as he's walking away, they put a bag over his head and kill him as well, don't they? And he's he's talking about feeding people to pigs in that scene. He's obsessed with basically feeding people to pigs. Yeah, and I love that because... Um, it was old Bricktop, he hates Tommy, doesn't he? And there's a scene where like they're talking to him, they're walking through his pig farm, and Tommy just turns around and he's like, Are they Lancashire pigs? Who the fuck's talking to you, boy? And he fucking <laughs> hates him. <laughs> One bit as well, when they've got um Tyrone tied up and then they um they take the other guys into the room where he's all tied up and then when they offer him obviously the Bricktop the deal or whatever. And um, he's like, and you can keep that silly fat wanker because the guys can't lift him, obviously relating to Tyrone. 
it didn't make me chuckle that line. Yeah, I mean, obviously, my favourite line's a bit earlier on when um, Matey Boy cocked up the fight, but another one I like, and it's one I use quite a lot um, at work, and most people always get the reference, but is when um, they're breaking into Sol and Vinny's shop, and his mate comes along, and he's like, or one of his henchmen, he's like, looks like ring governor, goody gum drops. Guess a cup of tea, <laughs> we well. It's just the whole yeah. fucking goody gum drops is such a great line. Yeah, I mean, he's quite, oh, I know he's a sinister and he's a horrible bastard, he's quite sort of unassuming sometimes when well obviously when Sol and Vinny first meet him they don't know who he is and Lincoln's there he's like oh, I know who he is and Bricktop gives that whole spiel about the pigs and chopping people up I mean that for me I'd be like fuck who is this guy he's a bit crazy but Sol and Vinny are just like who the fuck are you you know they don't know who they're dealing with do they yeah because he does his whole speech about like do you know what nemesis means which is obviously a really good speech mm. um and then, yeah, it's like, it's, um, Vinny, isn't he, turns around and goes, well, that's a great way off my mind. Now, if you don't mind yeah. telling me who you are, apart from someone who feeds people to pigs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be asking those sort of questions after he just told me that. I'd be like, okay, mate, uh, yeah, I'll do whatever you say, pretty much. <laughs> Another thing I forgot to mention, um, I don't know if you picked up on it, but pretty much all the way through this film, Turkish and Tommy wear the same sort of camel hair coats as like Del Boy wears. Did you notice yeah. that? I did, and uh, Jason Statham, certainly, I'm not sure about the other guys, I can't remember now, certainly wears one in Lockstock as well. Um, they're, they're obviously, the London gangster coats, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if that was taken from Only Fools, like we say, like Lockstock was a bit like an 18-rated version of that, or whether it's just the fashion that they have there. Because all the bad boy, I say the bad boy, like the bad guys, they all have the leather jackets and the shaved heads, don't they? It's like the, the Phil Mitchell tough guy look, but all the good guys seem to be in these camel hair jackets. Yeah, but it's definitely something I picked up on as well, yeah. So now Avi and Doug the Head hire Bullet Tooth Tony, played by Vinnie Jones, to help them find Frankie. When the trail leads to Boris, they kidnap him and retrieve the diamond, while being closely pursued by Sol, Vinnie and Tyrone. Turkish and Tommy, meanwhile, who are on their way to purchase a gun from Boris, are driving on the same stretch of road at the time. When Tommy throws Turkish's carton of milk out the car window, it splashes over Tony's windscreen, causing him to crash and killing Rosebud in the process. Boris escapes from the wreck only to be hit by Tyrone's car. And again, this is from Wiki. It's sort of sped up a little bit. But yeah, the introduction to old um, Vinnie Jones is a throwback, or Bullet Tooth Tony, should I say, is a throwback to when he played Chris in Lockstock and he's smacking that guy's head between the car door, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. That's pretty much how we first get introduced to him. And um, obviously, uh, Doug the Head's daughters have got a thing for him as well. Because he, he, when they're sat there, they've both got like a hand on, on his knee, haven't they? One either side of him his twin yeah. daughters. And um, we get a, a very brief uh, appearance from Ewan Bremner, don't we, in one of our first uh, Bullet Tooth Tony scenes when he sees him outside the shop and he's asking for info who did over the bookies. And he, he grabs him by the tie and just sticks him through the car window and he's driving along with him, fucking running along the side of the car. And I'm thinking, watching this again last night, this is fucking London. Someone would have been like, what the hell's going on? And tried to stop him, surely. Yeah, and plus, thinking of what London streets are like, he's driving pretty much in a straight line for that whole yeah. scene, which you know goes on for a couple of minutes. London roads aren't that long; they're, they're like tiny little like back alleys and streets, aren't they? Really, so you probably wouldn't have been able to drive that much in a straight line anywhere in London in the first place. No, I mean I don't know. Obviously, most of this is probably set around the East End, but it looked like a fairly populated area because old uh, Ewan Bremner's character Mullet, I think it is, which is quite ironic. He's got shortish hair; he's got a mullet anyway. Um, he um, he's sort of looking in a shop window. It looks like a fairly populated sort of uh, commercial area. So, yeah, like you say, there's no way they've been able to drive for that long and no way 
someone wouldn't have tried to help him, you'd like to think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was trying, always trying to figure out what he, um, if he's there, because he's obviously given it large and talking shit. He pretty much is the same character as he is in um, uh, Train Spotting, isn't he? The way yeah. he's like talking and sounding and stuff. Um, but I was trying to think, is he like a pimp or something? Because it looks like there's like some prostitutes and stuff, or sorry, ladies of the night, as we're supposed to call them, <laughs> um, like in that area and that as well. But yeah, he's talking to some guy who's obviously struggling to grow a mustache, trying to act all cool. But I couldn't figure out if he was just like, if he's supposed to be a pimp or what he's doing, or if he's just there being obviously a bit of a twat of a dodgy tie. Yeah, I'm not sure even if we're supposed to know what he is, because I think at one point old uh, Bullet Tooth does say, I'll do something in front of the, your girlfriends over there, implying that obviously, so yeah, maybe he is a pimp. Because um, as he's got his head in the car, doesn't old Tony say, what have you been brushing your teeth with? Horse shit or something. Yeah. Kind of implies that. I mean, he looks like, you say, the character he plays in Trainspot and a complete smackhead. So I'm not really sure what he's supposed to be. Maybe he's just yeah. a guy on the street with his sort of ear to the ground a bit because obviously Bulletooth goes to him for info. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, there's a good line as well coming up, isn't it? Well, when he's walking out with Rosebud and um, Abby and stuff, and he's like, a bookie's got blagged the other night. Blagged? What do you mean? I thought, you know, speak English. This country spawned the fucking language and no one actually speaks it, obviously showing how... An American would probably struggle if they came to London and put up all the Cockney slang. They do actually yeah. um, make a few Americanizations in this. Like they actually reference having social security numbers, which we don't have over here in the UK. We have like national insurance. I don't even know if that's the same thing. But there are a few kind of like American references in this. And I wonder if that was done on purpose because the movie had like a wider scope for its audience. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Quite possibly, obviously, having Brad Pitt, Benicio in it, and uh, the guy who plays uh, Avi as well. So, yeah, had a stronger American cast. Lockstock, did it have any Americans in it? Was it completely apart? I don't think so. No, I think it was no, fully British. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's quite possibly, Brad. That's a good spot. Uh, so now, Tony and Avi are confronted by Sol, Vinny and Tyrone at a pub, where Tony realises that the trio's pistols are replicas, which he contrasts with his real gun, a Desert Eagle .50 which intimidates them into leaving. The wounded Boris arrives with an assault rifle and a grenade launcher, looking for the diamond, but is shot and killed by Tony. Sol and Vinny leave a wounded Tyrone and escape with the diamond, which Vinny hides in his pants. When Tony catches up to them, they tell him the diamond is back at the pawn shop. Once there, they produce the diamond, but is promptly swallowed by a dog that Vinny got from the Irish Traveller clan. Avi wildly fires at the fleeing dog, accidentally killing Tony, he gives up and returns to New York City. So this is quite um, probably like the crux where everything's starting to come together now, isn't it? But this scene in the pub, I always think it's amazing. And like you referenced earlier, like when he actually tries to kill Boris the Blade, like he unloads like his entire clip on him, doesn't he? He has to keep stopping to go back and shoot him before he dies. Yeah, I mean, those Desert Eagles fucking pokey weapons, aren't they? You think one shot would take out pretty much anyone. And it, uh, it takes a whole clip, like I say, it's like, for fuck's sake, he just keeps unloading into him. Then you hear, even at one point, you hear Boris go, not quite. He's like, fucking hell, and puts another shot into him. Um, one thing I did, I meant to mention when we were talking about the, the scene before this, where they all crash into each other, that reminded me, it was quite a Tarantino-esque way, the way he did that, because it was all shot in reverse, wasn't it? And it confused me at first. Even though I've seen this film quite a few times, I thought I'd missed something, because they're all in their separate cars, and then they all crash into each other, but the way it's shot, or the way... It, it pans out. It's all in reverse, isn't it? You see Boris get knocked over first before you see anything else happen. That's actually the last thing that happens. 
Yeah, yeah, you're right. Actually, that's a really good shout because I think the first thing you see, or one of the first things, is it's just some uh, like some liquid just coming across a windscreen, which obviously later on you see is um Tommy throwing Turkish's like chocolate milk out the window, whatever it is. But yeah, you're right. There is um some Tarantino elements there. But then we did yeah. um yeah. when we we're looking at Lockstock, he said like there was obviously influences from Tarantino in his in his work, wasn't there? Yeah, it's just that one little section. I was watching this last night, and I, I, I literally had to pause it and rewind it and think, did I just miss something? Boris had just been knocked over, but why? And then, I, oh, yeah, I remember now. That's the way it's shot. It's all shown in reverse, almost, the way the things happened. Just something I picked up on last night. It's the first time I've ever really noticed that. But, yeah, um, the speech that I oh, would bullet to Finney Jones gives in the pub, and, like, the, the, obviously, his soul, and now I've got the, the pistols pointing at his head, and he's just going about... You're, what's it? You're the dick, and you're the two balls around him, and all that, giving him that long speech. And then he just goes, "The fact that you've got replica written down the side of those pistols," and it just zooms in. Don't it? he goes replica? Do, 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 do. And I've got Desert Eagle .50 written down the side of my gun. Fucking brilliant. Yeah, no, he he delivers so well in this. I mean, I know obviously Vinnie Jones is Vinnie Jones, but I think. Chris, obviously from Lockstock, and Bullet Chief Tony are fucking awesome characters, and he he's really convincing, and he plays them well. Although, um, interestingly, you know the scene where um, Sol and Vinny are in their car, and he comes up and taps on the window, and he's like, "Oh, you should never underestimate the predictability of stupidity." Yeah. That's not actually Vinny Jones because he was in jail that day. Um, he got arrested <laughs> the night before for being in a fight, so they just got a look alike to do that scene. Um, and obviously, oh, he right. must have dubbed it later on. But yeah, in that particular scene, it's not Vinny Jones because. Obviously, he was known for being a bit of a Larry boy. You probably follow this football career. I'm not really in the football, but played for Chelsea yeah, for a while. Yeah, he but he played for Chelsea. I think he picked up the quickest ever yellow card after 20 odd seconds in a game. Um, <laughs> I didn't realise that, but that kind of makes sense because they're talking in in the car, and then you just see his sort of reflection in the windows. He taps the gun on it, so that actually wasn't him then doing that, was it? No, it wasn't because you kind of see from in the car like him approaching, don't you? But you don't yeah. see his face. You see the leather jacket, and then, like you say, he taps the window, um, and then the reflection is quite blurred. So, yeah, that wasn't actually um, Vinnie Jones doing that particular sequence. Obviously, the rest of it is him, but yeah, yeah. he just wasn't able to make it to set that day because he was probably waiting for his bail or something. Clever way of d- d- uh, disguising it, though, because I didn't know that, and I've seen this film, like I say, quite a few times, so that they disguised that really well. Yeah, no, it was a really good job. I didn't know until I read it earlier. Um, so now Mickey agrees to fight to avoid any more carnage, but gets so drunk after his mother's wake that Turkish fears he will not make it to the fourth round. If he fails to go down as agreed, Bricktop vows to kill his me- um, that his men will murder Turkish Tommy and Mickey and his entire clan of travellers, as he has his um, men positioned in the campsite with shotguns. Mickey makes it to the fourth round when he suddenly knocks out his opponent. Outside the arena, as Tommy, Turkish and Mickey try to run for their lives, Bricktop and his men are killed by the travellers. Mickey secretly bet on himself to win and waited until the fourth round to allow his clansmen time to avenge his mother by ambushing and killing Bricktop's men at the campsite. This is kind of like a really good sort of like switcheroo from Mickey. We find out he's a bit more switched on than we thought he was. Yeah, yeah, he is. Um, that's quite brutal as well, the way um, he takes it. Well, not him himself, but the, the his crew take out Bricktop's men, isn't it? Particularly when... Um, they wind the window down and Bricktop's like, give me that shooter. And he's like, just puts his window, uh, can't speak, points out the window and just fucking blows Bricktop's head off. Obviously you don't see it, but just the implication of it is pretty gnarly. 
Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there's a bit here that always cracks me up because before, obviously, we see what really happened. It looks like Bricktop kills them three, doesn't it? Like Mickey, Tommy yes. and um, Turkish. And obviously Turkish is narrating and he goes, you think that, you know, your life flashes before your eyes, before you die, but it doesn't. You just freeze and pull a stupid face. And he's like got them <laughs> freeze frames and he looks like he's just like shit his pants or something. As you would if a fucking unhinged gangster was pointing a shotgun at you. But we're made to believe that's the case, but it wasn't. But just some of the um, commentary and line delivery is awesome in this. Yeah, it's brilliant. Him and Tommy are both like, say, look like they've just shat their pants. But Mickey's sort of got a sort of wry grin on his face because he knows what's actually happening. Yeah, that is, um, that, is a good way to end it. Yeah, he's like, the only person who wasn't was the pikey because he'd been betting on himself the whole time. And that's obviously when it unfolds that Mickey knew exactly what was going on. Yeah. And um, like you alluded to a bit earlier on, um, the fight that we actually get at the end is quite a full-on fight. You see, like, Mickey, at first he does twat the bloke, doesn't he, using that kind of knockout punch right at the start. And everyone's like, zooms in on their faces, thinking, oh, fuck, he's done it again. But yeah. the big guy yeah, manages to punch, get up. It? Yeah. <laughs> I think again, as he did in the first fight. Literally walks up to him, just twats him, knocks him straight out. Yeah, and the guy gets up and they manage to have a fight. And I think the way this is shot, um, again, like you said earlier, it's pretty fucking brutal. Like it's pretty full on. It's supposed to be bare knuckle boxing, isn't it? But it does look pretty brutal what they're doing to each other. Yeah, they've also got um, Oasis fucking in the bushes playing in the background, which is I know you're not a fan, but it's a great instrumental tune. It works really well with this. There's one bit as well. Brad Pitt gets knocked over or knocked out virtually by an uppercut. Brad Pitt's about fucking four foot off the ground, so I'm not sure how they filmed that. They must have just chucked him up in the air. It's obviously in slow motion as well, but he's miles off the fucking ground, isn't he? It's really good. Um, and actually, speaking of obviously fight scenes, I know you mentioned last week or the week before you haven't seen it, but the first Sherlock Holmes movie that Guy Ritchie did, he does a fight sequence in that, and it's um, Sherlock kind of, he looks ahead at how he's going to do the fight and you kind of see it all in slow motion and then you see it in real speed, like him doing exactly what he's just planned to do. And yeah. a lot of that is shot very similar to this. So he must have taken that, obviously, shooting style forward with him. But um, yeah, that's what it kind of made me think of a little bit. But the scene where he, like I say, goes up in the end and he lands almost like he's imagining being underwater, isn't he? Like he's almost drowning yeah. or being knocked out. I think that's shot really well. And I always wonder, like, did they actually put him in a tank of water or did they just use an effect or something to make it look smoky around him? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's almost train spotting esque, isn't it? Where old Renton goes down the toilet, but kind of in oh, reverse. He's falling backwards in this <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah, but it is good. Speaking of music as well, as you did there, um, I did read earlier that um, they use Madonna's Lucky Star. It's Bulletproof Tony's song, isn't it? When he gets um, yeah. brought in. And that cost him about a million dollars to use that or get the rights to use it for the movie. So there was some of the budget. Well, there you go then. That's um, Yeah, that's probably three quarters of the budget with Brad Pitt in that song then. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so um, the next morning, Turkish and Tommy find the traveller campsite deserted as Mickey and the Pikeys have escaped with their winnings. When confronted by the police, they cannot explain why they are there until Vinny's dog suddenly arrives and they claim to be walking it. Sol and Vinny are arrested when the police find Frankie and Tony's body in their car, one of which has a tea cosy on his head. <laughs> Turkish and Tommy take the dog to a veterinarian to extract a squeaky toy that it had swallowed and discovered a diamond in its stomach as well. They consult Doug about selling the diamond, and he calls Abby, who returns to London. And the credits roll, because it all kind of comes full circle, doesn't it? Yeah, again, it's it's almost a Tarantino ending, isn't it, where everything comes full circle. And I do love that way. I mean, the, the coppers, though, let's be honest, they're a bit fucking thick, aren't they? They're not going to buy that. What are you guys doing here? They've got their fucking gangster coats on. 
and they're like, uh, uh, then they see a dog. Oh, we're walking our dog. I mean, it's not particularly convincing, is it? And then Tommy, obviously, for comedy effect, is calling the dog Daisy, but going, here, boy, here, boy, come on, Daisy, here, boy. So it just those coppers surely would put two two together and realise that that's not their dog and that's not what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've always thought that it's just like not exactly London's finest, are they? Um, no. And like Turkish is like really fucking mouthy with them as well. It's like what's in the seats in the steering wheel. So it's just been like a complete bell end. Yeah, I mean, I suppose he's trying to act a bit casual, not nervous or whatever. But he must be shitting it. I do like the fact they find the dead body and everything in the back of our soul and Vinny's car there. That's quite funny. Poor guys, though. I mean, yeah, right, they were criminals and everything, but they were shit at it. And they're the ones who were going to get shafted in the end. Yeah, they were just kind of like the, the go-betweens, weren't they? But I suppose, well, unlike the um, Scousers in Lockstock, they don't actually die, but obviously going to get some free life in prison though now, aren't they? Well, they found two dead bodies in their car who um, technically they weren't responsible for old Frankie Fourfingers. Um, who's ever body they find? I'm trying to think now. The film. It must have been, it must have been Boris's body, I guess. Uh, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have been um, Tony, Chief Tony's, wouldn't it? Because he was killed in their office. Oh yes, he was. Yeah. Again, I I forgot he died in this because obviously Chris doesn't die in um, Lockstock. He almost becomes the hero. Um, and I totally forgot that old Vinnie Vinnie Jones's character died in this. I had to have another double take because I has has he just been shot? Fuck, he has. Yeah, he does die. Yeah, it's a really unceremonious death as well. And obviously, you've got like Abby waving the fucking gun around like a lunatic trying to shoot you the dog. You don't even see it, do you? After the, the big role he's played in pretty much saved the day, he dies off camera. Yeah, and that's a bit as well when um, the dogs, they think the dog swallowed the diamond, which it does eventually, but before that. And um, what is it? Abby's like, look in the dog. What do you mean, look in the dog? Open him up. He ain't a tin of fucking baked beans. What do you mean, open him up? Yeah, he's like, that's a bit fucking far, isn't it? Obviously, he's not bothered about killing people, but doing it to a dog, you know, he's got morals there. Yeah, yeah, good man. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, that is uh, Snatch in a nutshell. Uh, should we look at giving this one some scores? But I'm sure it'll be pretty obvious what it's going to get. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think this will be much of a surprise, but yeah, let's do a bread roll anyway for the, for the sake of uh, continuity and uh, how we roll. Who's going to go first then? Uh, I'll go first this week uh, for a okay. change. So, yeah, I mean, this movie, as we said last week, The Lockstock, it was a great debut for like a proper movie from um, Guy Ritchie, and he didn't fail to deliver on his follow-up snatch. I mean, it's a tough one to say which one's my favourite of the two. I like them both, and they work really well back-to-back with each other. I'd say probably overall, maybe snatch, just because, again, it's a slightly bigger budget, and it's a bit more quotable and a bit more well-known. Um I mean, this movie is fucking great. I mean, all the characters are superb. Some standout ones are like Tyrone, Bricktop, uh, Bullet Tooth Tony, but all the characters in this movie are all solid in their own right. I don't think there's any character in this movie I don't like as such. Um, you've got to give this one five others. It's a British classic. Uh, absolutely one of the finest from Guy Ritchie. Can't really say much more than that. This movie is fucking superb. Yeah, I haven't really got a lot much uh, much to add to that bread roll. Yeah, it's. I think overall, I do prefer it to Lockstock. Um, it's just more quality, isn't it? Brad Pitt is fucking amazing. He just gets over the fact that he can't do the Irish accent by bumbling his way through it, but in a brilliant way. All the cast are awesome. As you say, all the characters, although they're all absolute arseholes in their own way, you warm to them all, apart from probably Bricktop. But you still like Bricktop because he, he just does such a good performance. It's just, well, nothing else really. It's just a perfect balance between action, 
a bit of drama, quite a lot of comedy. And I think the fact that it's homegrown again just means a lot more to certainly myself. I mean, I'm not saying I don't like American films because I love them as well, but the fact you can relate to London and what's going on, it's just, yeah, it's masterpiece. Five others, there's nothing less. If I could have given it more, I probably would have done, but five others all day long. Ah, oh, very good. Yeah, yeah, it has to be. And what you said there, yeah, there's nothing wrong with American films. I love American films, but like you say, when it's homegrown and you can relate to like the lingo, the fashion, just all the little little nuances that go with it, obviously it just makes it that bit more kind of like, I don't know, special in a way. But like Only Fools and Horses, where we've always said we prefer that over things like Friends and other things because we relate to it more. Um, but yeah, absolutely can't argue with that at all. So... We will be continuing our look at Guy Ritchie movies, um, but a couple of new, well, modern versions to see how, we've seen how he sort of started off and let's see how he is now. But before we do that, next week, we're going to come to you with a Christmas movie. And there was really only one actor we could turn to for Christmas, the uh, the legend that is Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Jingle <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't even fucking do it without laughing. Oh, just thinking about it makes me laugh. I haven't seen it for a good few years now. I'm trying to think the last time I would have seen this. Fucking hell. But I reckon eight to ten years ago, it's probably the last time I've seen this film. So I'm really looking forward to watching it again. I'm hoping my VPN works because it's only available on American Disney Plus streaming site at the moment. It's not on any of our streaming sites. I did have a quick look the other day and it worked. So fingers crossed because we need to get this one done and get it out because we've been a bit, obviously life, as I said at the start, has got in the way. But we need to get this one out in time for Christmas. So fingers crossed it will happen. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll see what we can do. So hopefully that'll come to you before Christmas. And then sometime early in the new year, we will come back to you with uh, some up-to-date Guy Ritchie movies. But of course, if you want to stay up to date with what we're doing or look back through our back catalogue of reviews, then by all means, follow us on Twitter at The Hyperbaric Goats. You will also be able to uh, chime in to our Only Fools and Horses podcast that we do, which comes out weekly when things don't go wrong. Um, And for me, Bread Roll, I'm signing off. And for me, JT, I've just got one last thing to say. In the quiet words of the Virgin Mary, come again. <laughs>